This is Dan Fagell, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. In our AI opportunity landscape research, we're often doing a lot of heavy lifting. We're often assessing the entirety of the AI startup ecosystem within a given sector, let's say maybe asset management or oil and gas. We're then looking at all of the known AI deployments in the global top 20 or global top 50 firms within that given sector, again, whether it's car insurance in the United States, whether it's, you know, you name it. And when it comes to laying out that data, applying proprietary scores for a level of talent, amount of traction, uh, evidence of ROI, the question that is always top of mind, that it is always numero uno in terms of what executives are going to ask about is, well, where's the return on investment? ROI is the name of the game. And ultimately, it's why we're in business and any AI startup, any AI services firm has to be able to communicate and deliver on that. And I think that that's why our most popular episode in 2019 was what it was. Our most popular episode of the AI and Business Podcast in 2019 was with Sankar Narayanan, who's the Chief Practice Officer at Fractal Analytics. He gave what I think is the best episode we've ever recorded on measuring the return on investment of artificial intelligence. And we have Sankar back on the show this week. So I let him know how well-received that previous episode was. His Fractal was kind enough to share it, but it was also tremendously uh, well-downloaded. SoundCloud is a tiny fraction of our total downloads, and the SoundCloud downloads were very, very high for that episode. It was easily the biggest of 2019. So we bring him on this week on our Making the Business Case Thursday episode here on the AI and Business Podcast to talk about how to make sure your AI pilots turn into deployments. There's a thousand ways to screw up a pilot. There's a lot of ways to sell a project short term and just absolutely get it cut, get it canceled, get it trimmed, or just have it fade away into nothing. For the client, that means no value long term. And for the vendor or the AI services company, that probably means a bit of a tarnished relationship potentially. Uh, and certainly much less lucrative longer-term value from the seller's point of view as well. There's a lot of reasons to make sure that we do not screw up our pilot projects, particularly after the economic damage of COVID-19. And Sankar really lays into some of what he considers to be the critical steps, critical considerations for making sure these pilots actually turn into something substantial. So without further ado, I want to fly into this episode. I had so much fun interviewing Sankar in this one. It's great to be able to have him back on the program. Here we go. This is Sankar with Fractal Analytics here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Asen, where I wanted to get us started with here is around where to start. Sometimes a client knows that they have data and they want to do AI very open-ended. Sometimes a client says, hey, we want to invite you in, SN or whatever company they're working with, and help us build this one thing. You know, they have one goal in mind or they have they have one application they want to build. What's the right way to actually think about building that initial AI plan to get started? Yeah. Dan, uh, thank you for inviting me back to the show. And, of um, you know, this problem or this this question uh, is not something new, not just new for AI. It used to be the case for digitization efforts back in the day. This question has been asked by organizations and the ecosystem for every innovation or innovation attempt that has come about. So, And with AI, it's, it's a little bit more interesting because of the promises that, that we are seeing out of implementations of AI, specifically on you know, narrowly defined problems. So that makes it even more interesting and challenging. 
I go back to something that that I, uh, you know, we discussed last time around, which is how do we define what outcomes we need to go after? And the most interesting, you know, differentiation between a typical problem of of a game uh, environment like chess versus a real life problem is the goalposts are not defined. Goalposts get defined as we make incremental progress, and that is something that is very important for the ecosystem to to understand. Business leaders, of course, understand this really well. It is up to us AI professionals for uh, you know to to understand this objective and therefore help organizations go through this journey and build goalposts as we progress. So so that's uh, sort of the overarching thought, and and I'll give you a couple of. Um, examples which may help you know make this a little bit more real this is a question that was asked by a client of ours recently so this is a a very large a fortune 500 company it's the over the top arm of a large quad play you know a typical cable fixed line wireless mobile uh, type company okay. and uh, they have a population of you know they have a subscriber base of you know close to 20% of the country's population right and one of the challenges they were experiencing on their digital which is the ott arm was churn right and uh, they were they were saying that their subscribers would would subscribe watch a couple of shows and uh, you know then churn out so so their question to us was okay help us you know build the best churn model possible we want to we want to use ai to arrest churn we said fantastic you know this uh, you know back in the day we would have thought about this problem in the in the in the typical manner of how do you define churn and is is churn a function of disengagement and what sort of models we would need to be building what sort of recommendations we would need to be testing out then through a process of test and learn you know show incremental progress and and you know solve the churn problem now this solution may have worked back in the day when we didn't have the luxury of bringing together different forms of thinking and today we do have that what we did was we through a process of what call as ethnolab and ethnolab is a combination of ethnography with lab simulated testing through this process of ethnolab what we did was we tried to understand what is this problem about right when we say you know subscribers are churning is this because of disengagement uh, that they are churning or are there possible other factors and what what came out was very very interesting it very very quickly through a very fast and interesting observational setup we were able to show that the actual problem was not about arresting churn or reducing disengagement it was actually about creating platform engagement subscribers were engaged with the show that they were watching not necessarily with the platform on which they were consuming the content so you know what they never built loyalty on the platform for them to then lose that loyalty and churn now this fundamental change in the layout of the problem itself was one of the most important and critical components of this engagement and and the direction this engagement took from that point onwards uh, was very different to how we would have addressed it if if the problem statement had been about churn and that's the key you know message which is expect to be surprised and it's up to us to share this with enterprise executives that what they may see as a as a problem statement up front may have you know a lot to do with what behavioral sciences calls as availability heuristic it is the bias that we have in our minds to amplify what we have heard and seen around us 
So if they have seen that, you know, the broadcasting industry is going through a situation of churn, then it is natural for them to assume that that's happening with their organization as well. And that understanding of availability heuristic as a behavioral bias that we have led us to define the problem differently. And we ended up solving a completely different uh, objective and, and it's created tremendous benefits for them. Yeah. So I'm just jotting this down as we roll through. I've got a number of sort of perspectives on this. One of them is, is it, this sounds to some degree, I mean, you talked about some kind of methodology that you use, you know, ethnography is a, a rather long and, and fancy word for, for our audience, but I, I, I trust mm-hmm. you guys know what you're doing there. It sounds to me kind of like a five whys issue. You know, ultimately, what are we really solving here? Are we, are we solving churn? Like, oh, why are people quote unquote churning? Well, it's, you know, one of the answers that at least on some level, and it sounds like it's obviously more complicated than this, but on some level, they were loyal to the show, not loyal to the platform. So now we're going to build a kind of platform engagement strategy. If we don't necessarily know where we're going to land, you know, we go as as a service provider, we're really thinking through the problem and how to solve it, then we may or may not even necessarily land on AI, of course, right? There may be plenty of things where, where AI isn't the solution. And of course, you know, using the same hammer, you know, all jobs is not necessarily going to be smart. But it sounds like prying apart the problem that a client comes in with is mm-hmm. sort of a big part of the mix here if I'm hearing you correctly and, and making sure maybe we're solving what's is it safe to say we're solving what's genuinely underlying it is that what you're getting at or is there a better way to frame that yeah you know sometimes it is what is underlying and that's the you know typical fever versus what's the cause of fever approach uh, but there's you know a, a little bit more to that more often than not what we see as the problem or what we experience as a problem may be a consequence of something else right and that's what we saw here that churn was not really the problem they never were engaged in the first place to think of you know disengaging Right. So that was a problem. And uh, the way uh, at least we've been uh, thinking through such uh, situations and and it's not easy. Right. So uh, how much time do we need to spend to do this discovery, if you will, for our uh, client organizations? Uh, The approach that we are following is one of building toll gates. Right. So so what we are seeing is there is we should not be taking a lot of time to help get uh, directional clarity on what we need to solve for. And that's why the approach of making it a lot more sprint-oriented, a lot more toll-gate-oriented becomes, becomes extremely critical, especially with esoteric problem statements, things that involve a lot of technical and technology development. The idea is, uh, is to take a two- to four-week cycle and build confidence within that cycle based on some early uh, results that we are able to show that allows choices to be made at the end of each of those toll gates. Yeah, and the choices might be about direction. So maybe you determine that there are some needles that you can move based on platform engagement, as you've so articulated it, or needles you can move in terms of content recommendation to to maybe keep people hooked on a similar show that they're getting access to through this platform, whatever the case may be. You, your sprints right. are based on some hypothesis of what you can move. And whether you reach that toll gate or not, maybe the strategy sort of evolves and develops from there. In some sense, this feels tough for the client because you know they, they might have kind of a roadmap or a digital transformation vision that they have in their mind that, that maybe AI could be a part of. But on the other hand, you know, we can't build on a vision that we can't actually get to. So is there a way to square that circle where people are really looking to know like, hey, we're going to get to these ultimate goals. We're going to reach this market share. We're going to 
develop our customer experience in a new way. And, and maybe that vision is big, but you've got to reel things back and make sure we're testing viability in, in the smaller scale. How do we frame that so that there isn't uh, too much frustration, I guess, with keeping things as tight with our iterations as we have to? Yeah, that's a really good question, Dan. The, the direction that we are approaching on this particular use of a roadmap-oriented uh, you know, way to define uh, what problems to solve and how to apply AI, our thinking is aligned to something that I heard from Andrew Ng in one of the courses that he talked about building an AI roadmap. Building a roadmap without having clarity around what the organization is capable of is at best going to be an academic initiative. And that's where, you know, I think most organizations are today, where they have a fantastic playbook that has been developed by some external partner of theirs, which, which talks about all the 40 things that need to be done to create top line and bottom line impact. Now, most of these roadmaps fail to account for one simple gap, which is what is the organizational capability right now? And how might the organization be able to create bandwidth to be able to work on this roadmap, right? And that is the aspect which Andrew so articulately uh, points out is the precursor to building that roadmap. And that's what these toll-gated sprints and experiments are all about. So, so the idea is this, which is there are a few possible experimentation cases that we can take up with any given organization that will give us you know, an understanding of what impact can be created at the top line level, bottom line level, customer experience level, as well as operational efficiency level. Right. So those are some of the examples that we take to identify four or five pilots or experiments that, that we will work with them and the result of that is not just whether AI will be able to create ROI on that particular initiative, but also to, to provide a clear you know, recommendation on how ready the organization is to be able to not just conceptualize, but execute on that roadmap. And yeah. that's why that process of doing this set of experiments before building an AI roadmap makes the AI roadmap that much more prime time for execution. Yeah. Okay. So experiments first, you know, roadmap later. Now, the only reason someone would be willing to do the experiments is because they have an idea of what its ultimate value would be. So to some degree, we're going to have a fuzzy, not in great, you know, probably not in great touch with reality roadmap in our mind. And some of the needles we hope to move, some of the the changes we hope to see. But what you're saying is, before we start to harden that and turn that into a plan, we need to determine the first couple toll gates on those highways and those journeys and then get a gauge of, sure, what's the viability of this project, but also mm. how ready is the company to act? So we might more realistically say, look, guys, within two years, we really think probably this is something that, given your amount of data science talent, given your data volumes, given these other factors, we really think that this is going to be a more reasonable kind of you know, two-year build-out and, and benchmark to achieve. Let me know if I'm on the right page with you here. Yeah, so there's some parts of what you said uh, I completely agree with. There are a couple of parts where it might make the, the organizational leader very uncomfortable because the minute we say something is going to take two years to realize outcomes, most organizations 
will not accept that, right? Because there's management of the street that needs to happen as well. That happens on a quarterly basis. So, so there is that pressure that, you know, publicly listed companies are dealing with. And those that are not publicly listed are dealing that with their board. So, so that two-year uh, build-out is not necessarily something that will get immediate traction. Here is what we think is the, is the actual problem. So almost always, I wouldn't say almost always, uh, in, a, in a number of cases, I think there is an opportunity for consultants and vendors to be more truthful about the near-term challenges, right? So what are the challenges and uncertainties that an executive needs to deal with? And I'll give you one example of this, right? Which is, especially right now, there is a need for us to exhibit a lot more empathy about pressures that enterprises are going through. And we must continue to suppress the urge of renewing the contract, right? It is something that, that you know, organizations are dealing with. Uh, vendors are constantly using this as a, as a way to renew the contract. And even, you know, to test out a few things, if your first point in that discussion is about how do we set ourselves up uh, contractually for us to add value, now that's not a problem that an enterprise executive needs to deal with right now. So that's going to immediately ring some alarm bells and that's where initiatives around experimentation start to slow down dramatically right uh, and that's uh, you know a place where we think uh, there's a lot of work that needs to be done across the ecosystem yeah well maybe we can touch on that to some degree here sn as we wrap up on on this particular topic is you know given the state of affairs so you've you've talked a bit about how you think about where to get started you know asking these deeper questions determining the right projects to test in this viability sense before we start building out a roadmap and making sure that that roadmap has benchmarks along the way. Obviously, ROI is not going to be tomorrow, but if we say there's never going to be an ROI for the next two years, then yes, of course, it's going to be demotivating. Um, mm -hmm. People are dealing with all sorts of factors, as you just brought up. You know, The virus is really throwing a wrench into the gears of the economy. Um, when you think about AI project selection and kind of AI strategy and, you know, the, the real economic concerns and crunch that, that a lot of companies are going to be facing, how do we need to adjust our strategy for what projects to pick or what potentially to work on in a time, you know, like this one that we're in right now? Yeah, yeah. That's a very important question. And uh, different industries are dealing with this uh, problem differently, uh, simply because of where they are in the, uh, you know, handling of the pandemic itself. Uh, some industries are, are ahead, because they, they, they are having an immediate positive impact. As an example, healthcare is a place where there is somewhat of a positive impact in uh, the need for care and the opportunity to apply AI to drive better population health management and better care. Some other industries such as retail and travel and hospitality are at the other end of the spectrum where they are they are struggling to keep the lights on. And we've had a couple of recent public announcements of organizations going into bankruptcy. So different industries are at different stages of dealing with the pandemic, right? So so here's, here's how we are approaching this. What we are talking about is you know, wearing the hat of our client stakeholders or the, uh, you know, industry stakeholders. Think about what's the most key thing from their industry standpoint. The number one problem that pretty much every industry is dealing with is forecasting. Every forecasting model that is out there 
its validity, the forecasting model's validity is gone down because every variable that they had considered, macro variable, uh, you know, local variables that they had considered as part of forecasting are no longer applicable because of not just uh, temporary changes to attitudes, but also some very emerging permanent consumer attitude uh, change and consumer preference change, consumer behavior change. So, Forecasting is a very key area for most organizations, and we are we are talking we are doing a lot of work in helping organizations develop their new normal around forecasting. That's one big area. A second big area is supporting return to work strategies for our clients. Uh, you know, the pandemic has you know unfortunately leveled the playing ground in a significant manner for for large and complex organizations. And one of the biggest things that we realized was that. A lot of very large organizations are not really well set up on uh, work from home uh, approaches. So they are dealing with not just how to make their workforce highly effective working from home, but also how do they help their workforce return to work and continue to be very effective. And that's where, you know, it's a great opportunity for us to apply AI to help organizations return to work in a very seamless manner. And I go back to something that that we've all known for a number of years, which is to move out of the client vendor mindset here and wear that trusted advisor hat. What is important to rebuild here? It's, there is as an organizational uh, requirement, you know, return to work to be more effective, to be more efficient, and whatever is required to make that happen, whether it is AI or not, that's where we are pivoting towards. Yeah, yeah. The two things I've jotted down: one was forecasting, where AI may play a role, but like you said, it may it may not necessarily. We should not be married to AI, certainly not in a, mm-hmm. a time of really rough circumstances. Secondly, kind of a business continuity concern around keeping employees engaged or bringing employees back to work. Just just out of curiosity in terms of where you see that, I, I think th- there's some imagination out there around sort of how AI could help with that transition to getting things, quote unquote, back to normal. There's obviously also some talk about what processes can we automate if we're going to have to, you know, cut ourselves down by a third or cut mm-hmm. ourselves down by an eighth, you know, how can we still handle the work that those people were doing? There's stuff on both sides of that coin. Are those both areas, you know, you're talking about things that are common across industries. Are those both areas that kind of deserve consideration from your perspective? Definitely, definitely. Both are equally critical. In fact, uh, one of the ways in which we are uh, helping organizations manage the unfortunate downside of this, which is making decisions on technology versus people is, uh, you know, in in some cases like supply chain. So one of the ways in which we are uh, looking at this problem here is how do we reorient supply chain to not just build redundancies, but actually think about it from the point of view of building resilience, right? Uh, These are two different ways to think about the supply chain problem, right? Building redundancies is about creating alternatives or fallback for their distribution setup. But broadening the supply chain is a completely different way to approach this, which is how do we create an ecosystem of the supply side as well as the demand side, which broadens the overall supply chain, mitigates the risk of volatility in the supply chain, and ensures that we have minimal effect on the humans that are involved in driving that supply chain forward. Got it. So yeah, and we've we've actually upped our number of interviews around logistics and supply chain as well, just because it's 
so prevalent and so rife with disruption. So it's not surprising yeah. me that you folks are also having a pivot over there as well. I, I also like the lens and hopefully that's useful for the listeners of thinking through what are, you know, some things are different per industry, but what are the challenges everybody's dealing with? I think forecasting mm-hmm. and getting back to work are nice areas to knuckle down. I know that's all we have for time for this interview, but SN is always a pleasure to chat. Thanks so much for being able to join us on the AI and Business Podcast. Oh, thank you, Dan, for the opportunity. And as as always, I enjoy the questions that you ask. It, it makes me think about things in, in with you know different perspectives. So thank you. So that's all for this episode of the AI in Business podcast. I hope you've been enjoying our Thursday Making the Business Case episodes. If you've learned any nuggets here that have been particularly important for you, if you've picked up on anything that's helped you with your clients or helped you with your job or your career, be sure to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really does mean the world when we get genuine reviews from folks who really like the show. A couple weeks back, I actually read one of our best uh, five-star reviews of the last couple months from iTunes here in one of the introductions to our podcast. And I know I'll be doing more of those in the future. So if you haven't already dropped a review on the show, check us out on iTunes, leave a review there. It would certainly mean the world. And if you're interested in more AI use cases and more podcast content from Emerge, the way that we do our interviews and the way that we grill our guests, you might also enjoy the AI and Financial Services podcast. You can go to iTunes, you can search for AI and Financial Services, and you can download episodes explicitly on insurance, on banking, on wealth management, and learn more from us there as well. So thanks so much for being a listener here, and I look forward to catching you next week here on the AI and Business Podcast. Mm-hmm.